0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This is the reality. If it's a technology, it's a well liked technology, and people are actually looking at it for, from a security issue, vulnerabilities are going to be found.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire is Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, Carol Terrio returns. She's discussing IoT security with Daryl Hyland from Rapid7. All right, Joe, let's
2: uh, jump right into our stories this week. Why don't you start things off for us? Dave, I don't have a story from the news today. Uh, Mm. I have a story from my own personal life today. Okay. (laughs) These are some of my favorite ones to do. Yeah. Uh, Last week, after we recorded uh, this this wonderful podcast that we do, Hacking Humans, at some point in time, I went down to my mailbox and I opened it up and there were some packages in my mailbox for me. We're talking about your physical... U.S. My Postal Physical Service mailbox. U.S. Postal Service mailbox at my home. Okay. And I want to show you what came in the mail for me. Oh. You see that? Right. Yeah, What's I see
1: that. You're here. holding up. It's a thing that says, these checks are yours. Oh, and they're right. checks, like they're bank checks.
2: Actual yeah. checks. And if you look here, you will see. Let's see. I'll yeah. get one open here. This is, <laughs> this is great podcasting, Dave. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Just a scintillating radio. Yeah. Right, uh, right there. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. My name. My yep. address, right. but someone else's phone number. Hmm. And also came another set of checks and this debit card right here. Oh, okay. So uh, this is all from TD Bank. Yeah. And I don't do business with TD Bank. I, I just, <laughs> I use, and I not that I have anything against TD Bank. I just, right. they are not my bank, right? right. So yeah. I was surprised to receive these things in the mail. I'm like, this is odd. Sure. So, so I what kind TV. of
1: what kind of spending spree did you go on, Joe? That's
2: right. <laughs> I well, unfortunately, Dave, these all these checks all have my name and actual address on them, so I didn't <laughs> okay. do anything. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, they might call the wrong number, but when when the uh, Secret Service shows up to my house, they're going to have the right address. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I didn't do anything. The first thing I did was I called TD Bank, and I said, uh, uh, Hi, I'm Joe Kerrigan, and apparently I have an account with you, and here's the account number because it's printed on the bottom of the checks. And right. they were like, Yeah, this doesn't really look right. I'm like, It isn't right. I didn't open these accounts, uh, and I need you to tell me right now what kind of transactions have have happened on this on this account. And the guy mm. on the phone said, I can't tell you that. You're going to have Hmm. to go to one of our branches and present an ID in order to be, in order to have that information. Okay. So a quick Google search found that there's one in Laurel, Maryland. So into my car, I hopped and drove (laughs) quickly down to Laurel, Maryland. Fishtailed out of the driveway. (laughs) (laughs) Down to the TD bank where I I talked to some, some lovely people in the TD bank who are great. Everybody was fantastic. Right. and I walk in and I say, somebody has opened this account and I need to know all the activity. Because my biggest concern, Dave, is that uh, next year, I I think, yeah, in, at some point in time in the future, banks have to report all of the transactions that go on in accounts in your name to the IRS. Right? Hmm, okay. Yep. So uh, I, I'm not sure if that's actually been... Officially passed yet or not, or if that's that that is a requirement, but it has to, it has to happen, uh, mm-hmm. or it's going to happen at some point in time in the future. So my concern is that somebody is using uh, this my account, this new account that they opened in my name, to launder money or to move money around. And at the end of next year, I'm going to get a statement from TD Bank that says you moved 150 thousand dollars for this account, <laughs> and I'm going right. to be like, well, right. this is a new headache for me. Yeah. Um, but I went down to the bank and they said, what happened was the bank was, the account was opened online, right? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was uh, somebody put $5 into one of the accounts and then moved that $5 to another account. And hmm. at some point in time, the next day after it was opened, TD Bank flagged it as a fraudulent account and froze all the, uh, froze the accounts. Oh, okay. Uh, I also received two letters in the mail that said, you know, your your account balances are at or close to zero or might be overdrawn, please call us, uh, which was interesting, I thought. Uh, mm. So I think that's just something that is a result of them freezing the accounts. Right. So I had them do whatever it is they they do, close the account. And I said, I'm glad that there's nothing moving through these accounts. And I'm, I'm considering the matter closed. I kept the checks and the, uh, and the debit card as evidence yeah. uh, for my own purposes. And now here's the interesting thing, Dave. Uh, this year, this year, I signed up for, uh, as one of my benefits at, at Hopkins, they offer identity theft protection. Ah, okay. Right? And I had, uh, two weeks ago, I'd gotten a letter in the mail that says, hi, this is your identity theft provider. You should log in and create an account. And I'm like, I'll get to that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah, okay. So old procrastinating Joe here. <laughs> Could have known about this event on the day it happened, but because I didn't set up my my identity theft protection, mm-hmm. uh, I I, uh, I I didn't know about it on the day it happened. However, I did immediately on the same on the same day we we, we recorded the last episode. I did immediately set up and configure my identity theft. Ah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lesson learned. Fool me once, <laughs> right? And sure enough, the opening of this account is listed on that uh, on that identity theft site on that monitoring site. Oh, interesting. So I flagged it as fraudulent and my identity theft provider called me up and said, hey, let's work together on this. And right now I'm in the process of uh, uh, setting up an appointment with a with a counselor on this to mm. see what the next step is. And apparently one of the things I can do uh, anytime this happens is I can put a one-year freeze on uh, or a one-year fraud alert on my credit reports just by calling up the credit one of the credit bureaus and saying uh, there was a fraudulent account opened in my name. Now, here's an interesting thing that I've also found out: hmm. if I get a police report, an identity theft police report, that freeze or not freeze, but the the fraud alert is good not for one year but for seven years. Really? Yeah. Additionally, if I do the one-year alert, I only have to notify one of the credit bureaus and they'll share the information for one year. But if I do the seven-year alert, I have to call all three of them independently hmm. and okay. notify them. So I haven't decided what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to the counselor first and see what uh, see what this person recommends. But hmm. it's it's an interesting... Here we are looking at the actual outcome of a lot of uh, these, these kind of attacks happening directly to me. This has actually never happened to me before. I've never had any... I mean, I've had... Other things where people have impersonated me, but nobody's ever opened an account in my name. So, what do you, what do you think happened here? What, what's your best guess of exactly what was going on? What they I were think, trying to do? I think somebody was trying to open an account so they could use it to scam other people. Okay.
1: So, do you uh, think they were going to try to use your good your good name and your good credit to? That is to- an excellent
2: question. Um, you know, my my if anybody does a google search on me and 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 i've actually done this to you dave in one of our previous episodes where i was demonstrating how easy it is to find open source inf- information right uh, a lot of information comes up about me just by doing a google search yeah um and it the the information that was used to open this account a lot of times uh i don't know what social security number they used to open it they wouldn't tell me um <laughs> but it may not have been my social security number, but it is definitely not my phone number now there's a a no small part of me that wants to call this phone number and see who answers Oh, yeah me. i'm I'm shocked um, you haven't done it yet well um, <laughs> here's what I thought about doing. I have a friend that lives in Virginia, which is a single party consent state, and I want okay. him to call uh and ask for me and record the phone call and see what happens all right, well, coming up on our next episode of Hacking Humans. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So, you know, I recommend – now I recommend getting identity theft insurance or, uh, you know, identity theft protection from (laughs) –
1: You found religion, Joe. You found religion. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a convert, Dave.
2: (laughs) Right. When it happens to me, it matters. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, I think I've demonstrated that. I hate when this happens to anybody. But uh, this is – I think this is – you know, this has been an interesting, interesting thing. And, uh, you know, I've – my biggest concern, my – seriously, my biggest concern is the reporting that would have been done to the IRS on my behalf where I would have had to uh, explain large amounts of money moving through an account I didn't create but was opened in my name. That's mm-hmm. That was my biggest security concern here.
1: Well, and tip of the hat to the folks at uh, TD Bank for handling everything as well as I think it could be handled. Yeah, they did it very um, but quickly. But also – You know, just I mean, this is a time suck for you, right? I mean, you it it is. I lost
2: the afternoon to it. Yeah, yeah. Now, now there have been other cases of identity theft where people have lost months. One of the stories last week we had where a woman was scammed out of uh, out of a bunch of money that took them six months to get that money back, or most Mm -hmm. of that money back. So I got off easy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, it's a, a lot of good information there. So it sounds yeah. like all's well that ends well, but uh, keep us posted on how it develops. I
2: will. Uh, next week, I'll give you an update on what happens when I meet with the counselor. All you right. can all follow as Joe's identity <laughs> theft turns.
1: <Just> Real-time <laughs> story. Right. All right. Well, my story this week actually comes from an email that I got from, uh, oddly enough, the PR department at TikTok. Now- Joe, I am not on TikTok. Are you on TikTok? Absolutely not, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Why do
2: I want to be on TikTok?
1: So I have never been uh, lured in to create a TikTok account or anything like that. But certainly um, lots of people are. Uh, So this press release that the TikTok people sent us, and, and just a side note here, uh, you know, we field endless press releases and story pitches at the CyberWire for all sorts of things like this. So it's not oh, unusual way, for Dave, us to get these things.
2: I also field endless requests for this at my is that right? Hopkins email address. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I have set up a rule. <laughs> it just sends mm. those things right to the trash. I don't do this. So stop asking me for interviews. Talk to somebody at the Cyber Wire. Yeah. I actually have to go
1: through and consider whether or not they're, they're worthwhile. In this case, right. this one was worth sharing. So this is from... Uh, One of uh, TikTok's financial crimes investigators, a gentleman named Lloyd Temple. Uh, So, first of all, TikTok has financial crimes investigators. So, good good on them. Uh, And this is really focused around uh, romance scams. Uh, I think uh, particularly as you and I record this, we're coming up on Valentine's Day. That's right. When this show posts, we will have just been past Valentine's Day. So, um, this is kind of related to that. Um, And... There's some good things in here. They have some tips for protecting yourself against these sort of frauds. I'll just read part of this. It says, whether in the physical or online world, the best defense against fraud is awareness. If it feels like you've been struck by Cupid's arrow, follow simple safety and security tips from experts like the Federal Trade Commission to protect your heart and your wallet. And it's a good list here. So I'm going to share this. Uh, First, they say, take it slowly. Mm -hmm. Swindlers are quick to profess their affection and take conversations off apps. They often try to draw in victims with love-filled texts, emails, or calls. A best practice is to vet your new heartthrob by asking questions and pay attention to inconsistencies that may reveal your crush as an imposter. It's all good stuff, right, Joe? Yes, I would agree, 100%. Yeah. Uh, Next one they list here is keep your funds and personal information to yourself. If you've never met in person, don't send or exchange money via gift cards, wire transfers, or cryptocurrency, and don't share personal details like bank account, home address, or other sensitive information. Uh, this all sounds uh, pretty straightforward to me. Yeah, but I- when you are when you're wrapped up in the uh, excitement of a new romantic relationship,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think it's easy to get into a mode where you just want to share
2: everything. That's right. right that's right it's it's very easy to do that the, the, one of the one of the problems here is that the the emotions that we experience really cloud our thinking mm. um and it it's okay for that in some situations but the problem is that can be exploited and it is particularly exploited in uh fear and in in greed and in love in in you know the the love emotions yeah, yeah the, there's a part of me that wonders how people would share accounts you know i you know i i don't know that i could ever merge financially with a, with, with somebody beyond, beyond a marriage agreement. You know, Mm -hmm. I just don't know, but you know, maybe it's because my parents were both in accounting and bookkeeping and I come from (laughs) an accounting family, I guess. Right. right. Uh, But you know, and, and, and a lot of people don't come from those kind of families. Right. I mean, most people don't, not, not very many people are accountants, but um, it's, it's something that I grew up with. So I don't know that it's. It seems completely foreign to me. Somebody goes, "Hey, let's open a joint bank account." No, no, you and I aren't <laughs> married. I'm not opening a joint bank account with you. Right? I haven't made a decision with you yet. Uh, yeah. But, but again, you're right. The when once you start getting that that uh, you know the endorphin rush whenever you whenever you talk to somebody and they start telling you nice and pleasing things, uh, you know, you're you're essentially putting in their hands. Um, yeah. and it can be very very dangerous. Uh,
1: The next one they list here, they say, don't play games. Uh, Tools like images.google.com, which is uh, Google's reverse image search tool. Right. um, They can help conduct a reverse image search on someone's online profile photo. If results show the same photo on another site but with a different name attached, a scammer may have stolen it. For sweet emails or text messages that sound too good to be true, copy and paste the text into a search engine. To see if others have already encountered this potential fraudster. I think this is a great point point here. You know, uh, crooks tend to be lazy. So, yeah,
2: they're going for the low hanging fruit.
1: That's right. So, there's chances are they're doing a lot of copying and pasting of both the images and the text that they're sending around. So, that's a real quick way to to check uh, and to short short circuit this kind of stuff.
2: It's an excellent point. This is a numbers game for these guys. So, they really don't have time to craft individual responses for everybody. So yeah. that's this is going to – now. You and I were talking before the show mm-hmm. about a LinkedIn request I got, mm-hmm. and it, I I thought it looked suspicious. Mm-hmm. And right before, as we were getting ready to record, uh, dear listener, what I did was I did an image search on the profile picture and found you know because it's a, it's an attractive woman trying to connect with me, and of course immediately I'm like.
1: That doesn't it, make any sense. That
2: doesn't make any exactly. <laughs> we don't have anything in common here.
1: Uh, well, and, I mean, I, I think it's just because obviously that your wife is so stunningly beautiful that uh, right. how could any yes. woman possibly compare to
2: that? Right. Joe? <laughs> right. That, that he's got to have something going on. I guess. <laughs> um, but, but the uh, the search came up and it, it was a, a model for a dress. You know that 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 was just they they took the head of this of this. Uh, you know, you can find find the site, find site selling dresses with this picture. And they took mm. the headshot from the model. For, it's a full body shop. They just cropped out the rest of the body and put it as the headshot on LinkedIn. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm ignoring this. In fact, I'm even going to report that account.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and the last one they have here, they say, listen to your heart, follow your head. Mm-hmm. If something seems amiss, cut off all contact immediately. Fraud scams and bad business practices can be reported to the Federal Trade Commission, the FBI's uh, IC3, their Internet Crime Complaint Center, mm-hmm. and the IRS has a taxpayer guide to identity theft. Mm. Um, and of course, um, TikTok has a safety center as well, so you can re- report stuff there. Um, so I have to say I was a little surprised uh, that the, this is solid stuff here. Um, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be so
2: te- so skeptical of TikTok in the future. I don't know. Well, I mean they have to take their platform seriously, uh, right? Yeah. Because it is their business model and they need to be uh, out there protecting their users. Uh, and if people are getting scammed relentlessly on TikTok, that's not going to end well for them. So this is in their business interest to do this.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely.
2: But you know, still, I'm probably not going to create a TikTok account because of this, because there's other reasons I don't like this company. Uh, <laughs> not the least of Fair. which, as I've said many times, social media is bad for you. And this is just another social media account. Uh, I go. will add one additional thing that isn't mentioned here, and that is listen to your friends and family. Mm. Um, a lot of times, people are told, "I think you're being scammed." Uh, you need to be receptive to that if you're in, even if you're in the middle of the throes of a romantic relationship. Right? That that when somebody says, "I think you're being scammed," you need to stop right there and go, "Okay, hold on. Why does my son, daughter, wife, or not wife? <laughs> that would be very bad." T- <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a bad so why is my son daughter <laughs> why does why is my wife so against this
1: romantic relationship <laughs> right. I'm having it, uh, I, it just doesn't make sense to me <laughs> right
2: why is my son daughter brother sister good friend I've known for 40 years why are they telling me this is a scam that it's right. not because they're jealous right it's it's really not it might be because they're genuinely concerned it probably is because they're genuinely concerned yeah right it's um it's it's and and that's one of the things these guys will try to emotionally isolate you to get you to actually physically isolate yourself from your friends and family because those are the people who bear the greatest chance of preventing their success so yeah. listen to your friends and family when they say you're being scammed pay attention
1: all right well uh i will have a link to uh the uh press release here uh, over on tiktok uh the again the uh, tiktok uh Uh, safety folks, uh, financial crimes investigators. Uh, We'll have a link to that in the show notes. All right, Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day.
2: Dave, our catch of the day comes from a listener named John who writes, Hi, guys. One of my friends on Facebook was being hassled by a scammer using a cloned account of a mutual friend trying to convince my friend to click on a link. I asked my friend if they could convince the scammer to give me an email address so I could play too. Uh, She got a phone number and eventually an email address. So now it's my turn using a disposable email address. My aim was to get their Bitcoin wallet address, which I did. And I took a copy Hmm. of that wallet statement, which he attached and sent along. And I posted every email on Facebook for my friends to have a laugh along with me. Uh, He has a question. Should I report this to the the authorities? If so, who and how? Uh, It depends on what country you're in, John. But if you're in the U.S., I'd report it to the Internet Crimes Complaint Center. I would also definitely report the profile to Facebook as a fraudulent profile. Send along the evidence that you have, including the the scams, the screenshots that you sent along. But uh, John was actually kind enough to put this into a PDF for us, the entire email chain. (laughs) So, Dave, as usual... Why don't you play the part of the scammer, and I will play the part of John. All right, here we go. So John opens up. He says, hello, my friend, pass me your email address. Apparently, I might qualify for a grant. Please, can you tell me more? Thank you, John.
1: It's my pleasure to have my name. My name is Gene Smith, the online claiming agent in charge of the ongoing United Nations Democracy Fund grant. I would like to enlighten you more about this program. Can we proceed? Hello? Yes, please. Thank you. UNDEF grant program, which is an empowerment of the United Nations to promote international monetary, facilitate international trade, foster sustainable economic growth, make resources available to members experiencing balance of payment difficulties around the world. This program is a worldwide tour embarked on for all the disabled, unemployed, student workers, retired, young, and old people. All citizens of the United Nations, the COVID-19 UNDEF grant isn't alone, and you do not have to pay a back do you also want to apply as well yes please okay you have to be honest with us so that i can help you get (laughs) your grant you'll have to fill in some information now so we can proceed with processing are you ready hello yes please thank you okay here's what i need full name residential home address age gender do you have credit cards email address (laughs) marital
2: status mobile number monthly income what do you want from us cash or check And then John replies back with a fake name, James, and he says, gives an address in Switzerland, says his age is 67, (laughs) that he's male. He does have credit cards, provides an email address, which is, of course, a disposable email address. His marital status is listed as widowed. Uh, Mobile number, none. I was cut off during COVID because I couldn't get out to pay the bills. This is why I need the grant. I'm really cut off and I need some help. His monthly income is from a pension. And what do you want, cash or check? He goes, cash, please. How much would I be entitled to? And then John notes, I wonder if they noticed that the address I gave them is for the United Nations building in Geneva. Nice. Well, nicely played, John. I nicely didn't notice played. that, John.
1: <laughs> you have to hold on for three minutes because your information will be saved to our database now to verify if you're qualified to receive the grant. So that will not deliver the grant to the wrong person. Remember that grant money is non-refundable and interest-free. If you qualify for this, you'll pay for a clearance fee so that your money can be delivered to you without any stress. Uh Uh-huh. Congratulations! We got your full details and information processed and programmed in our database. Below are the references for your referral number, batch, winning number, ticket number, and serial number. Kindly keep the reference number below safe and confidential as they will be needing at the point of delivery to provide you with the adequate support to enhance a swift delivery to your home address. That's wonderful news. How much is the award? Please go ahead and send it to me. Here's the um, list of the amounts that you're qualified to receive from the UNDEF grant. If you are to choose the amount to wish to claim now, you pay $800 to get $120,000. You pay $3,000 and get $300,000. You pay $7,500 and get $700,000. You pay
2: $10,000 and get $1 million. <laughs> And then John says, I don't have this much. I'll need to ask my neighbor for a loan. I'm not sure about this. He's not very nice. The kind of people who see him sometimes go to the hospital if they don't pay him back. Please. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. Please, can you tell me how to pay and I'll get the money? If I can promise to pay him back a bit more, he'll probably let me have $10,000 and I can go for the highest award.
1: We accept payment through Bitcoin and gift cards. Ah, the UN your money ex- will
2: be <laughs> your money will be delivered 10 hours after you make the payment. The money, the, the UN, it's good to know the, the UN accepts payment and gift cards, Dave. <laughs> it's, well, you know, at times <laughs> tough. Right. 30 minutes later, John writes, that's great. My neighbor said he would loan me $10,000 and only charge me $5,000 for 10 hours. But then it's another $500 for every hour I'm late. Since this is the United Nations, I'm sure there will be no delays. I trust you. Can you give me a phone number that I can call once I'm ready? I may need to have some help. I may not be near my computer. I'll have to ch- I'll have to use a public phone. What is Bitcoin? I'm old and don't know much about this. My wife used to deal with money before she died. I think there was a Bitcoin machine at the train station. How does that work? What are gift cards? How do those work? I love this, John. This is awesome. Thank you for your help. This is going to make such a difference. I really don't know what I would have done. I'm so desperate for some help. So grateful to the United Nations. Can I text you on Facebook Messenger? I don't have Facebook. I just sent you a text on Messenger app. Check your Messenger spam messages. I don't know what this means. What is Messenger app? Check your Facebook message. I sent you a text message. Did you see the message? I don't have Facebook. Please don't send my money to someone else. Are you in Switzerland or United States? Switzerland, like I said when I gave you my details. Do you have the $10,000 now? Uh, My neighbor said they'll give it to me as soon as I ask. Now, Now go and ask. 20 minutes later, he says, Wow, this is a lot of money. Are you sure this is all okay? I'm a bit scared. What now? This is real and legitimate. Now go to the Bitcoin machine. Text me once you get there. I can't text you. My mobile phone is cut off. I need to get reconnected. Tell me what to do, please. Once you get to the Bitcoin machine,
1: send $10,000 worth of Bitcoin to this wallet address. Now, this,
2: this scammer is probably salivating right now. Like, I'm getting 10 grand. <laughs> this is and he's giving him a Bitcoin address. And uh, John texts back, going now. And this is the last email he sent him at 10, 10 p.m. at night. Uh... He wanted the scammer to think that he was a 67-year-old retiree widower with $10,000 in, in his cash pocket. Uh, so it's this is pretty much where it ends. Uh, but John pulled up something called a a wallet statement, which you can get from blockchair.com, which is essentially just a blockchain explorer. So this is available to anybody. And he entered the email, or the uh, Bitcoin address, rather. Uh, and Bitcoin is a public blockchain. Everybody can see every transaction that's ever happened. Uh, mm-hmm. And And these guys have... Scammed people out of about 0.03 Bitcoin, which is around two thousand hmm. um, dollars. In uh, uh, going through these um, going through these transactions, it's it's a lot of money.
1: Well, the last thing that the scammer writes is uh, is this: Don't let anyone to be aware of your grant money. They might charge you thirty percent of your winning money for tax. Keep it to yourself for your own good and self privacy. Thanks for complying with us. Congratulations once again. <laughs> just, Are you back?
2: Hello? Yeah. And John's ghost. John's done. He got he got what he wanted. He got the email address. He got the Bitcoin address. Uh so you know, if it maybe, John, if the guy is dumb enough to put this on an exchange, um, you know, I don't think he is. He probably has his own physical wallet, in which case the money is gone, gone, gone. You know. Yeah. It's uh but it's I said physical wallet, but it doesn't have to be a physical wallet, just his own wallet that he controls.
1: Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, thanks to uh, John for sending that in. We would love to hear from you. If you have something you'd like us to consider for our catch of the day, you can send it to hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. joe uh always great when we can welcome carol terrio back to the show and uh this week she has a conversation with daryl highland he is an iot security researcher at rapid 7 here's carol terrio
3: Okay, well, today, folks, we are here with Daryl Hyland. Now, he is an IoT security researcher at Rapid7. Now, Daryl, you have quite a history. I've heard that you love to own printers and breach companies with them. Is that true? Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I have a uh, long, uh, lurid uh, history <laughs> with, uh, with uh, <laughs> printers um, out there. So, yeah, done that for a number of years did a lot of research against uh, Xerox is um, we did some research for across all the printers. And I think there was one we call a passback attack where you can leverage the LDAP that's configured on multifunction printers and just request it to do an LDAP lookup and have it point to you and you can get the Active Directory credentials and clear text. So a lot of that's used by pen testers now. So yeah, that was something we did uh, years ago. It's amazing that it still works.
3: Now, uh, these days you are doing a lot of IoT research and I really wanted to speak with you about this, like there's just so many smart devices getting pushed out every single day, like from vacuums to fridges to, you know, toys, And I wanted to know from your experience, are they mostly secure? Am I panicking for nothing or should we be concerned about this stuff?
0: You know, I'd like to say, yeah, they're all secure. But uh, the truth is, no, they're not secure. A number of them are not. Uh, I am seeing a, a definite increase with companies that have a brand name they want to protect, are paying more attention to actually security, and they're getting their devices tested before they go to market. Or when a company acquires another company, they're like, hey, let's test this equipment before we put our brand name on it. Unfortunately, there's so much technology out there that I call basically white-labeled technology. They're mass-produced. They have no branding behind them. They often have poor security. They often do not get uh, effective updates and patches pushed to them when there's problems. Mm.
3: Uh,
0: And I think those are some of the biggest problems out there. Most of those devices obviously have a very low price point. So consumers have a tendency to go, hey, do I want to put a camera in it costs me $35? Or do I want to put a camera in it costs me $100 that's branded? Yeah, and often a number of them choose the uh, cheaper, and along with mm. that comes uh, poor security.
3: Do you um do you often see products like IoT devices maybe available on something like Amazon or some kind of site like that where? The name has been faked, so perhaps they have a legitimate, reputable name on the outside, but it's actually a knockoff.
0: I personally have not experienced that.
3: Okay, that's good. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it gives me some hope. But that doesn't
0: mean it doesn't exist out there. Obviously, counterfeiting things have been uh, a big thing over the years. I mean, people were counterfeiting chips. Uh, that are actually used in devices. So why not counterfeit uh, the actual IOT devices? But personally, I have not uh, seen it or experienced it or uh, engaged anyone that has come across it yet.
3: Mm. And in your, um, can I ask this a bit of a personal question, but in your house, are you IOT mad or do you kind of, you know, just get the ones that you think are absolutely necessary or is there no IOT at all in certain rooms?
0: Uh, obviously, there's certain types of IoT that I don't bring inside the house, and that would be uh, camera devices. Mm-hmm. I do, I do have Amazon Echoes, mm-hmm. but I do I do a lot of simple little things that I think improve the security. Uh, one, I go in and I shut off all the crazy services that I don't want these things doing. I also enable the Echoes to. When they, when they go into listening mode, instead of just listening, they actually make a beep tone. I've enabled them to do that. So if I have my back turned to the thing and it decides it wants to key on a word and start listening, I hear that tone and instantly I stop talking. The other thing I do is since huh. most of this stuff is captured, I always go online about once a quarter and I go through and I look at the captured audio that was not interpreted.
1: Mm. Because
0: those may be personal conversations, things like that, inadvertently captures, and I go through and I listen to a number of those, and then I purge everything that's more than 90 days old that's on there, so.
3: That's really good advice. I was going to ask you, like, what are your biggest areas of concern for home users with all these devices? But you may have already touched on a few of them.
0: Yeah, I, typically, I, th- I get concerned when I hear people putting cameras into internal to the house.
3: Take heed, Dad. Listen to this guy, Dad.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, to me, to me, that's that's a big privacy no-no, and I wouldn't do yeah. that. Uh, I am concerned mm. about audio, even audio captures in the house. But again, you know, we all have cell phones, um, and we yeah. we often put all kinds of crazy applications on there without thinking of the implications of those. So, and that's a camera, um, and I've seen so many people like, hey, head off to the bathroom with their cell phone in hand, which has cameras on it, which is like, (laughs) what? Uh, But again, again, with with IoT technology, I think it comes down to the comfort of the person. They need to really think about privacy. What is concerning Mm -hmm. to them? And then consider that when they purchase the technology? Do you want cameras in the house? Do you understand the implications of cameras if the account gets compromised somehow, some way, that someone could get access Mm -hmm. to audio? Uh, Same way with uh, uh, consumer alarm systems, as an example. Right. Uh, We just released something here about a month ago on a particular alarm system that literally had no authentication. If you knew the person's email address, you can make a request to the cloud services, and it would give you this control number, a tracking number for his device. Oh, my God. Then you could turn around and repost that up with a command zero, which would basically disable his entire alarm system. So there's there's crazy problems with potentially everything out there.
3: I'm glad there's smart uh, and, people like you helping to solve them, though, or give us you know.
0: Yeah, it was one of the guys on our team. Uh, it was one project that I did, uh, and I did this over a number of years. We would pick a series of products, and I would pick two or three of them, and we would get two or three volunteers from other departments, typically the pen test team, that would want to actually play around with some IoT. And we'd run this project for a quarter or two quarters, where they could actually go through and do research and testing on a piece of IoT technology. And a number of times, we've found some really interesting findings. Uh, it's nice when we see products that don't have any serious issues. That's always a good thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm always excited to see those because then someone asks me, hey, Daryl, I'm buying this product. What do you think about it? I can give them a, a thumbs up you know, and say, hey, we've looked at it. We didn't find anything major. But I also want to point out vulnerabilities are going to exist. So we can't, you know jump off the end of the bridge over IoT because we find a vulnerability. Last time I checked, Microsoft releases a whole stack of them once a month. Um, So this is the reality. If it's a technology, it's a well-liked technology and people are actually looking at it from a security issue, vulnerabilities are gonna be found. What we wanna see is more and more complex vulnerabilities. Ones that take a little more work to actually pull off.
3: So basically stick to known brands and uh, look up things on Rapid7 to see if they've actually been tested by Daryl and his team. Is that fair?
0: (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. One of the things uh, I always encourage people to do, when you're out, when you, like when you go to buy a car, you do all this research. What's the safety test on the research? You know, crash impact test, because I'm buying something that's about the safety of my family who's riding in a car with me. Let's look at IoT the same way. And that, you know, everything from smart TVs to audio devices to home security systems, go out and look to see if there's any vulnerabilities. Often you can find it on their sites or you can just do uh, general searches on Google. Now, if there's vulnerabilities that were found, that's not a problem. That just means researchers are typically looking at that technology. What you want to see is how the vendor responded. To me, that is more critical than the actual vulnerabilities. Did they acknowledge the researcher? Did they turn around and fix the problem? And how fast did it take them to fix the problem? Because to me, those are good traits. A vulnerability is pushed to them. They acknowledge it. A week later, it's fixed. That's a product I want to buy because they seem to care
3: about their security. Daryl Highland, IoT security researcher at Rapid7. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank
0: you very much. All right,
2: Joe, what do you think? Dave, I don't know if you remember this, but years ago on one of our shows, you asked me if I had any IoT devices on my home network. And I immediately Mm -hmm. said, no, I don't have any IoT devices. That's silly. Um, But then you started asking me about, like, cable boxes, right? Yeah. And yeah. I changed my answer. I'm like, wait a minute. What is an IoT device? <laughs> right? What constitutes an IoT device? Not what right. is one, but what constitutes one? Yeah. And sure yeah. enough, uh, I don't think of printers as an IoT device mm. or an embedded system. And I probably don't think that way because I came from a time, Dave, when they weren't really IoT devices. <laughs> right. Right. They were devices you connected to your computer as a uh through a serial or a parallel cable. And mm-hmm. then you then you would send print jobs to that computer. There was a computer that did the job. That now these com- these printers just sit on the network and they have access to everything. It's fascinating right. to listen to Daryl talk about how he gets the credentials out of these uh, out of these printers that they're probably just stored in plain text in the printer and sent across the network right back to the person that asked for them,
3: mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. may or
2: may not be your your Active Directory server, <laughs> right, or your LDAP yeah. server. Uh, LDAP for our non technical listeners stands for Lightweight Directory Access Protocol. It's kind of like an authentication protocol. Hmm. Uh, really low level stuff. I won't get into the weeds on it. Um, too I'm late. glad to. Yeah, too late. Well, I just wanted to let people know what it meant. That's all, Dave. <laughs> just, give, just razzing you, Joe. <laughs> right? I can go really deep into the weeds on this if you need me to, but I won't. Yeah, no, I'll know, spare Joe. everybody. Right? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that uh, companies are thinking about security to protect their brand. Uh, I really think it's a shame. That that's what businesses have to think about. But actually, uh, you know, I think that way because I'm a security person, right? Mm. And one one of our biggest challenges is relaying to uh, the C-suite or to the people in charge uh, what the risks are. And if you can express risks, uh, security risks, as financial or brand damage risks, then you can go a long way to convincing people that they need to pay attention to these risks. Um now, there are people or companies out there like, like uh, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Apple. I think they all take security very, very seriously. They already understand that's the case. Uh, and you can, you, can, you can say privacy is a different thing, and you're absolutely right. It is a different thing. But security, I think they all do very well. But when you're talking about these people that white label something, these are just devices that are just pushed out to the market as quickly as possible. Uh, these are, these are companies that just want to sell these things and they want to sell them to other companies who just want to sell these things. That's how this
1: works. (laughs) Right.
2: Um, I like what Daryl says about his Alexa device, going back to the Amazon uh, point, he turns off all the services he doesn't need or want, and that's Mm. reducing your attack surface area. That's one of the, one of the top five things I tell you to, I tell people to do when they're trying to improve their own personal security, turn off things you don't need, uh, because you never know if there's a vulnerability in them. Uh, and and like he says at the, towards the end of this interview, vulnerabilities are going to be found. Well, if, you're, if your service is not needed and you turn it off, if there's a vulnerability in it, it can never be exploited because that service isn't active, right? Somebody yeah. has to exploit another vulnerability to turn that service on to exploit the first vulnerability, at which point in time, why would they do that? They've already exploited the first vulnerability, the second vulnerability, whatever. Um, I like what he says about enabling a beep to let you know when uh, it's actively listening. This does a few things. One, sometimes you may say something that sounds like it um, <laughs> sounds like uh, the the keyword that turns it on. You remember that time when I was telling you about how I didn't? This actually happened to Dave and I. We were sitting in the CyberWire studio, and I was saying, "Not that I don't trust Google, but..." And then my phone went. But what? <laughs> right. <laughs> right and dave and i both kind of looked over at the phone
1: yeah we picked our jaws up off the floor right. yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: yeah but what it heard was uh the just the keyword for activating the the voice assistant and it and it and then heard me say but and then pause mm-hmm. and it it went in to its uh its next statement but it was it was really weird but that's it's good to have that on the amazon uh so that on the amazon device so that that doesn't happen to you right so that there's a beep that goes okay and now i know to shut up because amazon's listening Right, mm-hmm. There's another attack vector that this protects against as well. Uh, it is possible to play an ultrasonic sound that the human ear can't perceive, but the microphone in an Alexa device perceives just fine uh, and interprets as a voice. I don't know if Amazon has fixed this or you know that they ignore things beyond a certain frequency. Uh, mm-hmm. That may be the case. In fact, it, it, I, I, wouldn't, I would not be surprised to find out it is. But if you have this beep turned on and all of a sudden you're in a quiet house and your Alexa just beeps, You know you've got something else going on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like what he does with going back to review all the captured audio with some periodicity and purging old audio, old old audio Mm -hmm. data. Um, And and then he talks about the 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 security system that had that really weak vulnerability that all you needed to know was email address. Dave, I can't think of a product I would expect to be more secure than a home security system, right? And (laughs) this one is just got a terrible vulnerability in it, but uh, <laughs> a good interview. I always love hearing Carol talk to, uh, talk to people. A lot of times when I'm writing, I actually hear Carol's voice reading the words. So it's...
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we do appreciate, uh, Carol bringing us this interview. And uh, again, our thanks to Daryl Highland from rapid seven for taking the time for us. All right. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave
2: Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.